Hello and welcome to the Prospect Sermons podcast, the preaching ministry of Prospect Baptist Church. This podcast is dedicated to the faithful exposition of the scripture and the edification of the local church. This is Parker Smith, Senior Pastor of Prospect Baptist, located in Fayetteville, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the sermon you are about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you toward the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. Amen. I hope everybody is doing okay this morning. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn them on or turn them to the book of Galatians chapter number five. We're going to be looking at uh, verses seven through 12. Uh, We're continuing our series through the book of Galatians. We are making our way through, making a lot of progress. If you're a guest, we do something here called expository preaching or verse-by-verse exposition. We just work our way slowly through books of the Bible. And uh, if you're coming to us first time this morning, we've previously gone through the first five chapters of Galatians and we find ourselves here in verse number seven and try to build you back up to get you up to speed. Paul has just built his case for five chapters now against the false teachers and now turns uh, to encourage the churches in Galatia. And if there's one thing we can learn uh, from these verses and we've been familiar familiarized with this over and over again. I know I have been personally uh, thankful for this statement in my life. It's a statement you might want to remember that the Christian life is a marathon and not a sprint. You say that again, the Christian life is a marathon and not a sprint. It's filled with changes in season. It's filled with unexpected turmoil and adversity. At the same time though, it's also saturated with so much grace in so much providence from the Lord. Yet surely, many have sputtered along and they have found themselves faint from traveling onward and some have even burnt out and they've given up along the path, along the way. I remember just a few years ago when I ran the Chicago Marathon, training for that, and then the day came for me to run this long race. The 4 a.m. wake-up call was bad enough The 6 a.m. slight cool breeze that was blowing was quite refreshing, but I was so nervous. And then the rain began to fall, just light, just a mist of one, but nonetheless wasn't anticipated. All my, if it rained, I would just run another time. And here it is raining on the day of the marathon. The misty first mile was such a great first mile. I tore out on a pace that was unkept during any time of my training. Mile four was a breeze. Mile six met again by a strong, but at that point, a such a refreshing rain. Mile 13, a new record pace, a personal best, only to be met while, by a great wall of adversity and mental defeat at mile 15. Thinking I might die literally at mile 18, just wanting to quit, at mile 22, literally in tears at mile 24, thinking I'll never make it at mile 25, only to see the finish line at mile 26 and limp across that line with great joy and a smile on my face. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. One of the most well-known, probably even maybe the best Christian book is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. 
He tells a story of Christian who is on a pilgrimage after being persuaded by evangelists to leave the city of destruction and press onward to the celestial city, Mount Zion. And along the way, he certainly encounters many challenges and setbacks. Bunyan writes this as a picture of the Christian life. And he finds Christian traveling through what is called the valley of the shadow of death. Listen to what Bunyan writes. Sometimes he had had half thought to go back. Then again, he thought he might be halfway through the valley. He remembered also how he had already vanquished many a danger and that the danger of going back might be just more than going forward. So he resolved to go on. Yet the fiends seemed to come nearer and nearer. But when they come even almost closer to him, almost to him, he cried out with a most vehement voice, I will walk in the strength of the Lord. So they never gave back and they came no further. Beloved, the Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And the only way that we will arrive at the end of this life is the way in which Bunyan said that Christian made it through the valley of the shadow of death. It was the Lord strengthening him. And the only way that we'll make it is the Lord strengthens us and keeps us on the journey that's ahead. And so honor and reverence of God's word, would you stand as we read together Galatians chapter five, verses seven through 12. The apostle Paul says, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, say amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, that Christ would be exalted and that he alone would be our attention and our focus, that we would see him high and lifted up for he will draw all men to himself. Father, allow him to make a way for he is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to hear your word to believe it, receive it in faith, and apply it in our lives as we leave here today. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. I wanna call your attention to two points this morning, the first of which I want you to see running with resistance, but in confidence. Look at verses seven through 10. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Paul has been building this case, making a transitional statement as we looked at last week, coming off the heels of that, that circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but faith working through love, Galatians 5, 6. And just before he launches into this message of what that looks like, how faith is working through love, he pauses as so to say, before I get there, I have one last thing that I would like to add. Paul says, you are running so well, Galatians. No doubt, looking back to when he planted these churches in the book of Acts, their calling to faith in Christ in Galatians 1, their submission and obedience to him, their growth and progress in the faith thus far. 
Paul sees them and he desires for them the same desire that he has for him own, his own self, that he not see his life of any value or precious at all. If only that I may finish my course, the race that is set before me to come to the end of his life. He wants this for the Galatians as he writes to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And Paul says to these Galatians, you shot out like a rocket, sprinting ahead for the finish line. But something happened. You were hindered. Paul uses a word here, encupto. It means to thwart. It means to strike. It means to cut in. It's a word that would have had a double meaning that Paul would have been borrowing from the idea of circumcision, meaning to cut away, so as to say, who is cut away at you? Who's cut away at your affection and your progress in Christ? You're on a different road now, Galatians. That's why he said in Galatians 5.4, you're not on the road of grace. You're on the road of merit. You are doing so well, but now you've been duped. He says in Galatians 3, you've been bewitched. You're bewitched and going away from the truth, away from the confidence that is in truth. You've been hindered from obeying truth. The truth is the truth of the gospel. The only gospel that there is, the only gospel that Paul has preached. The word for obey there is the word that means to persuade. It means to convince the idea that you've been convinced towards something with a course of action. Paul says you have been hindered away from the truth. You've been convinced towards abandoning the true gospel instead of submitting and following the true gospel. He reminds them in Galatians chapter two, he says, you know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So we also have believed in Christ. Galatians, you know this, but you've been bewitched. You've been convinced otherwise. You were running so well, but someone hindered you from obeying the truth, convinced you of a false gospel. They hindered you from obeying the truth. This corresponds with something else. So add, watch the text as it moves to deception mentioned in the next verse. He's done this all throughout the book of Galatians, building upon his arguments, showing what these false teachers and the fruit that they bring to the church. That's why I've been pulling the last several weeks from borrowing text from within the book of Galatians, showing you the big picture of what the apostle Paul is trying to communicate. But note the text. You've been convinced away from the truth, verse eight. Yet, this persuasion Literally, an active effort to sway them in another direction. You've been persuaded in this way. The false teachers knew what they were doing. They knew the destruction that it would cause. Hence, in verse eight, it is not from him who calls you. This is not from the Lord. It's from the evil one. It's from Satan himself. It is God who calls you. We've said this over and over and over again. God calls us unto salvation is a gracious call of the Lord. It is God who calls you by his grace, Galatians 1.6. It is God who called Paul. It is by grace that we are saved. 
Romans 9, turn there, Romans 9, 11. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, speaking of Jacob and Esau, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, the older shall serve the younger. This effectual calling of God to salvation, the effectual calling of God to all who he has chosen in Christ for salvation. This is Paul's point in Romans chapter eight. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son and justified It will be glorified. It is God who calls. It is God who saves. First Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. For you know, like a father and his children, we exhort each of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in the manner of God. Noted in the text in verse 12, God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Galatians 1, 6. I'm astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You're going away from him, Galatians. You've been bewitched. You're believing a false gospel. You're abandoning the gospel of grace and you're clinging to a false gospel of works in your flesh and something you must do in order to be saved. God calls us into salvation. He calls us graciously. Those who are chosen in Christ calls us by his spirit, calls us to be born again in his sovereignty, in his freedom, in his timing, to himself, to walk in obedience in the truth of the gospel by his spirit. We are called by him. And these Galatians are believing a persuasion that is not from him. And it's dangerous. Note what the false teachers have done to this point. It's noted in the text. This is why it's so dangerous. Nearly every verse contains a truth that we can glean from the trouble that the false teachers bring. Note it. There's five things. They hindered them from obeying and resting in the confidence of the truth of the gospel. That's verse 7. They were persuaded away from the grace of Christ and the gift of salvation of Christ and the calling of God towards a works righteousness in the flesh. That's verse eight. They hindered, they persuaded, they troubled the church to doubt and divide them over the grounds of their confidence and hope. They've unsettled the church, causing them to doubt their assurance in Christ's work on their behalf. That's verse 12. And this is why church, we must be vigilant not to tolerate even for a moment false teachers that would teach something contrary to the biblical text. Mark them out, Paul says. Romans 16, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions, who create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord in Christ with their own appetite, note it, and by smooth talk and flattery deceive the hearts of the naive. You've been persuaded, Galatians. They had a crafty way of talking. They had a smooth tongue and they've got you to buy in what they were preaching, but it's not from him who calls you. This is not contextually just for the Galatians. It's rampant in our culture today. 
from as far as and wide as the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church that says sacraments can bring you merit to the false teaching of the Judaizers in Galatia. Note this, even preachers of sort, even in some Baptist churches, preaching a gospel such as easy believism, preaching a gospel, will you slip your hand up please if you wanna be saved? Catch my eye, repeat this prayer after me and you'll be saved. Folks, that's decisionism. That's decisional regeneration. It's a false gospel, beloved. Salvation is of the Lord, not of you. And we respond to his mercy and grace. We respond to his gracious call for salvation, but we don't initiate it or bring it about in any way. It is a type of persuasion that is not from him who calls you. Fifthly, they introduce leaven into the church by which the church can be destroyed. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter five. Paul uses the same word that's used here in another place. Leaven representing sin in the midst of God's people. Any logical person would logically conclude, what place does the leaven of sin have in the midst of God's people? Answer, none. But think about it. Something so small like leaven becomes so powerful. Something almost unnoticeable at first is undeniable in the end. Something intentionally added that distorts. Jesus warns of the leaven of the Pharisees that he says, which is hypocrisy in Luke 12, one. And Paul warned the church at Corinth of the leaven of their sin that was in their midst in 1 Corinthians chapter five. He says in verse number six through eight, he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Beloved, note this, sin is dangerous. An open, blatant, rebellious sin will destroy the church. 1 Corinthians 5.1, listen to what Paul says. It is actually reported among you that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And there would have been certainly a temptation in the church at Corinth, and it seems to be what they're doing. Huh, that's no big deal. That's just between him. That's not gonna affect us. All's good with us. Paul says, no, your boasting is not good. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He continues, when you're assembled together, watch this. When you're assembled together in the name of the Lord, my spirit is present with you. With the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Discipline him. He's showing his cards. He doesn't know Christ. He's showing you he doesn't. If he did, he would live in obedience to the commands of Christ. 
And Paul's concern is the complacency within the church at Corinth among them to say, it's no big deal. Ah, it'll just go away on its own. No, folks, it will continue to spread and eventually it'll consume the church is what it will do. Beloved, write this down. You can receive the gospel only in one way, by grace through faith, but you can lose the gospel in a couple of ways. You can lose it first by false living and you can lose it secondly by believing a false gospel. I'll say it again. You can only receive the gospel in one way, by grace through faith, but you can lose the gospel in a couple of ways, by false living and by believing a false gospel. The first is through false living, allowing sin to manifest itself without restraint. It will spread like leaven until it consumes the whole. The other is through false teaching being taught and tolerated, the church loses truth. Are you listening? Would you say amen? When a church becomes compromised from the purity of the gospel, in their teaching or in their living, they are in danger of losing the gospel altogether. And if a church condones sin, it will be corrupted by that sin. And secondly, if a church accepts a distorted gospel, it will soon be led astray by that distortion of the gospel. A church that does not denounce sin will soon be destroyed by it, and a church that does not denounce a false gospel will soon be destroyed by it. Baptists used to understand this. They used to practice and guard against this. J.L. Dagg, an early Baptist leader from the 1800s, said this. He said, when discipline leaves the church, Christ goes with it. When discipline leaves the church, Christ goes with it. But as time has gone on, we as Baptists have neglected the much needed and biblical practice of loving church discipline. How far we've come. The thought, the thought to hold those who accountable who claim to profess Christ to actually live in accordance to the gospel that they profess. What a thought. And if someone is found in open, rebellious, scandalous sin, that they be confronted, called to repent, but if they refuse and they dig their heels in, we might have no choice but to remove them from among us and say, you're showing your cards. You're showing who you really belong to and it's not of Christ. It's not of Christ and his way. Those who profess Christ and know the Lord do not live this way. And we can no longer affirm you as being from among us. And Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 5 is pretty clear. Better their feelings be hurt on this side of eternity and for them to consider their way of life that they may repent than for them to perish in the next. Baptists have essentially written off this biblical command. And I did say command. They've said it's unloving. They've said it's uncharitable. It's not the way you can grow your church. Well, I'll tell you this, if you neglect it, it's a good way to lose the gospel, I know that. Who are we looking to please, beloved? The eyes of men, men of clay? Are we looking to please the Lord and do what he has commanded us to do? Paul says this is not even tolerated among the pagans. 
Yet a Christian can live however he wants in any type of sin and no one say anything? May it never be so. You can lose the gospel by living falsely, but you can lose it a second way as well by proclaiming a false gospel. Baptists have done the same in refusing to proclaim the gospel of grace. Instead, they've opted for weak preaching, story time telling in the pulpit of tickling ears and repeat after me type of salvation. It was the Baptist who passionately defended the true gospel against the false gospel of baptismal regeneration of the church of Christ. They defended it vehemently. It was Baptists who followed in the footsteps and championed the confession of the theological of the theology of the reformers that says, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Baptists echoed that battle cry through the Protestant forefathers against the false gospel of the Catholic Church teaching sacramental regeneration. Yet I'm afraid if you look inside most Baptist churches today, you'll find a different false gospel that's in there. You'll find a gospel that's being preached this week, a gospel that preaches decisionism, a gospel that preaches decisional regeneration, easy believism, because we just gotta get our numbers back up. And so anybody can walk the aisle. Make no effort to see if they're truly saved. Roles filled with people. We've, we've lost the true gospel. We've been leavened by tolerance and pragmatism and relativism and decisionism. And today, you look at the fruit of that in most Baptist churches, you see roles that are filled with people that haven't been in a decade or longer. But oh, they're still Christians. They walked the aisle on the whim of a preacher that needed someone to walk an aisle so he didn't take any more heat from those that were dissatisfied with his preaching and the lack of numerical growth. And he just wanted to preach at the convention next year so he needed a big church. Every week, every week, I'll get a postcard in the mail, a flyer about what works in today's era, in today's time. Buy this product, you'll double your church in attendance. Get this and your church will be transformed overnight. I don't doubt it wouldn't. But would it be in accordance to thus says the Lord? Folks, there's something to be said. When guys like Billy Graham and Adrian Rogers say things like 70% of the people that show up to your church on Sunday morning are probably unsaved and unconverted. Hello, we went wrong somewhere if that's true. Prospect, I'll tell you something sobering. Look around, look around just in our Baptist churches. You don't have to go very far. Our Baptist churches are sick. They are sick. They're filled with inflated roles, filled with carnal-minded men who act and live just like the world, who measure success in the eyes of the world, who measure their church and aspire and they lead their church in such a way as to get their church covered on the cover page of the Fortune 500 magazine. They preach a false gospel of easy believism, decisional regeneration, shallow preaching that doesn't take more than 20 minutes, consisting of merely the thoughts and ideas of a man. Oh, but let's sprinkle in some Bible verses to make us feel like we did something spiritual today. This wasn't always the case. Baptists used to get it. We used to understand, but we took a wrong turn somewhere. And I'm gonna tell you, we're in danger of losing the gospel.
And may it not be us. May it never be prospect. And if we've taken a misstep along the way, let's correct it. Remove the leaven of sin. Remove the leaven of a false and shallow gospel and recover the fidelity to the word of God through pure living and pure thinking. Through orthodoxy and our orthopraxy. And it can only happen by the grace of God. Note the text, verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Paul is pronouncing judgment on those who cause such trouble and destruction within the church. Preachers today, they, they desire to have way too many friends and way too many pats on the back. But folks, you can't play games with this. You can't play games with a false gospel and Paul knows better. And the church that is concerned about their reputation in the eyes of man and a preacher who wants to remain tolerant on every issue, Paul says, you don't have that type of wiggle room here. You either have the gospel or you don't have the gospel. You either preach gospel salvation through faith in Christ or you preach a false gospel salvation through works. You have the true gospel or the false gospel. Which will it be? And Paul says, Take no other view, verse 10. There's only one view you can take. And so he says in Galatians 1.8, if I or an angel should come and preach to you a gospel that's contrary to the gospel that I preach to you, let them be accursed. You distort the gospel, you lose the gospel. You throw in the leaven of legalism, the leaven of works of the flesh, and you'll soon see the entire lump be contaminated. But don't miss it. Despite the hindrance, despite the persuasion away, despite the leaven that has come in and entered, Paul is confident, but he's not confident in their flesh. He's not confident in their ability. Look at verse 10. He's confident in the Lord. Paul says, I put no confidence in the flesh, Philippians 3, 3. The Judaizers would believe that you can achieve something. Paul says, I'm confident in the Lord to preserve you. He will keep you. He will keep you from being destroyed altogether. Paul has warned them over and over and over. You're severed from Christ, you who want to be justified by the law. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. I'm perplexed about you. I'm afraid that I've labored over you in vain. Paul isn't communicating a lack of assurance or that they would lose their salvation, but rather they could reveal that they never had it to begin with. John MacArthur said it this way, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Instead, Paul knows and is speaking of the truth of perseverance to endure to the end of those who are truly in Christ, but not according to the flesh, but according to the Lord. And if it were up to us, we would surely perish. And Paul says, I'm not gonna put my hope or confidence in you, but I will put it in Christ. And though the race is long, there will be many obstacles that get in our way, many who distort and try to knock us off track. But for those who are in Christ, the Lord will keep them. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So we must be cautious, we must stay close, we must draw near, we must not allow our hearts to become gripped by sin, led astray by the deceptiveness of sin. But in this race, we must keep our eyes forever fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12, one and two. 
And for those who are in Christ, what grace it is. The grace that not only saves you, but will keep you until the end. Bunyan concludes as Christian makes his way through the valley of the shadow of death on his way into the celestial city. This is coming out of this shadow of the valley of the shadow of death. He says, about this time, the sun was rising and this was yet another mercy to Christian. For you must note that though the first part of the valley of the shadow of death was dangerous, yet the second part, which was yet still to go, was if possible, far more dangerous. For from the place where which he now stood, even to the end of the valley, there were all along set full of snares, traps, gins, nets here, so full of pits, pitfalls, deep holes, shelving down there that had now been in the dark. And when it came for the first part along the way, he had thousands of souls that they had reason been cast away. But as I just now said, the sun was rising. Then he said, his candle shineth upon my head and by his light, I will walk through the darkness. In this light, therefore, Christian came to the end of the valley. What grace it is, beloved, that God not only saves you by his grace, but keeps you by his grace as well. We're coming to a close as we wrap up our second point quickly. Resolve to the way of the cross. Paul says, but if brothers, I still preach a gospel of circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would be, would emasculate themselves. The false teachers perhaps even accused Paul of preaching circumcision or that he was maybe wishy-washy on the subject. Not having Titus circumcised, but he did have Timothy circumcised in Acts 16. Paul says it over and over again, circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't count for anything. But if you see it as something that's your grounds of justification, it's a big problem. And I'm not preaching circumcision. If I were preaching circumcision, why am I being afflicted? I was inflicted in your towns in Acts 14. I was beaten with stones. They thought I was dead. They drug me through the streets. I was beaten with rods in Acts chapter 16. Countless of beatings, countless of trials. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. If I'm preaching a false gospel and I'm not preaching the true gospel, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross would have been removed. Paul uses a word there and a term there, the offense of the cross. The word there is the Greek word scandalon. It's scandalos, where we get our word scandal. It means a stumbling block, anything in which one would be stumbling because of. It's a cause of ruin, a cause of destruction, a cause of misery. Something that is offensive. Beloved, there's no other way around it. The message of the cross is a message that offends. Don't believe me? Go to any public forum and get you a sign that just merely says John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Tell someone, for heaven's sake, with as much love as you possibly can and concern in your heart, unless you repent of your sin and trust Christ for salvation, you'll perish. Remind someone, it doesn't matter how good you are, how many friends you have, how much money you have in your bank account, if you do not know Christ, and if Christ does not know you, you'll be condemned. 
For Jews demand signs and Greeks seeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the reason the cross is so offensive is because it shows a person how deep his depravity is. It is a slap in the face to say, you are not good enough. It reminds them of just how unworthy they are. We say, I can do it. The cross says, if you were on that cross, you'd perish. We say, all is well, God's on my side. I'm his child, I'm his friend. The cross says, you're a child of wrath, separated from him, and the only way you could be reconciled to him was through Christ. We say, I can save ourselves. The cross says, there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. We say, I deserve forgiveness. The cross says, no, you deserve death. We say, I'm not too bad. The cross says, you were so vile, Christ was beaten and slain for your sin. We say, God will love me regardless. The cross says, my son was crushed and judged for the sins of the world. We say, I've got it from here on out. I can take it from here. The cross says, surrender your life, lay it down and follow Jesus. We say, I just want a happy life. The cross says it'll cost you everything to follow Jesus. Man loves religion because religion tells him, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. You can work your way to heaven. The cross declares your righteous deeds, the best you have are like filthy rags. And unless you surrender your life to Christ, you will be condemned. The way the flesh condemns, but only the way of the cross saves. Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven and earth by which we must be saved. And those who proclaim this gospel, this gospel of offense, no, it will not be received by those who insist to live in the flesh. They will want to see their flesh as a means of justification. Carnal men will rebel against the truth of the gospel. They will persecute those who seek to live their lives in accordance to the gospel, in accordance to the cross. They did it to Paul, they did it to Christ, and they'll do it to you as well. He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul warrants a very serious charge within this text and about this subject. If you have not picked up on the severity just yet, the Greek word that he used there, emasculated, the word akapakto, it means to cut off, it means to mutilate, it means to literally castrate. He says this, he says, for those who wish to cut off the flesh for circumcision, I wish they would take it a step further and mutilate themselves altogether. Paul is saying, he's referring likely to the pagan cult of Sabel, who worshipers would show their devotion to their false God by castrating themselves as their devotion to the Lord. Their priests were made eunuchs as a sign of devotion. And Paul says to the Judaizers, you wanna put that much confidence in the flesh, double down on it. If you really believe that human effort can save you, own it then. Paul isn't being crude, he isn't insisting some type of vile form of punishment, but he is serious. Folks, it, the gospel is all or nothing. Either you have Jesus or you have him not at all. Either he saves totally by grace through faith or he saves nothing in the slightest. 
Paul is serious. He's, this gospel is not something to tamper with. And Paul says, I wish my prayer is that those that are hindering you, that they would be cut off altogether. And they would not hinder you any longer. And that you would not mess with this gospel because if you mess with it, you'll distort it. And if you distort it, you'll lose it. I say all this this morning to say that the seriousness and zeal for the gospel that the apostle Paul had should be the same zeal that we have for our church today. That we not tolerate or skirt around false teachers so as to say things like, well, just bless their hearts. I'm glad that they talk about Jesus. Beloved, what do they say about him? What are they preaching about him? What do they say you must do to be saved? Is salvation by grace or is salvation by something that you can do and you initiate? The true gospel is a gospel of grace, not a gospel of merit. And you add gospel, you add merit to the gospel and you only nullify it. Paul says we ought not flirt with those who preach a false gospel. We should not be yoked to them who preach heresy. Mark them out, cut them off. Take the gospel seriously, so serious that you would cleanse out the leaven of sin in your midst. Be so loving, be so humble to call those in open rebellion against Christ to account and to repent of their sin. Cleanse out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. To take this gospel so serious that we lovingly practice church discipline as a means to guard the witness of the church, but more than the witness of the church, the witness of Christ in the community. I'm astonished that you so quickly deserted him who called you by his grace and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is winding down his letter in the same way that he began his letter, with the same warning a plea to the church to return to the purity that they had once before, to continue running the race with endurance, independence of Christ in the fear of the Lord, with the health and obedience and the commands of Christ that he gives in humility to look to the Lord for their guidance and strength and confidence. And that's what we should do here to implore us, even as prospect, that we begin to take this gospel seriously so serious that we guard it, so seriously that we defend it, so serious that we live it, so seriously that we proclaim it and renounce all those who would reject this gospel or contradict it. This is what the Lord wants for his church. And I believe for those who are in Christ desire to see this as well. And I'll go on record to say it's what's been missing in the church for far, far, far too long. We've become gospel complacent and gospel compromisers. And it's time for us to be gospel defenders and gospel proclaimers. As I close, I wanna remind you and appeal to you as I have several times, Bunyan, once again, speaking of Christian now, who he will soon discover will fail to enter, though he was on the journey with him for a long time. Ignorance fails to enter the celestial city. Christian says this, speaking of ignorance, he said, he told me once that he was resolved to go on a pilgrimage as we do now. But all of a sudden, he grew acquainted, acquainted with oneself and then he became a stranger to me. For at that time, he gave up on the pilgrimage. The road in which we travel, beloved, is long, it's hard, it's difficult.
It's filled with many opportunities to abandon, grow weary, trust in another for the hope that we may have. And the way of the cross is hard. It will cost you much, but your reward is greater. And you'll never make it. You'll never make it trusting in your own self or in your own flesh. And just like Christian, on his pilgrimage in the Pilgrim's Progress, we will need the Lord to give us strength. We will need the Lord to carry us by his grace. And one day, beloved, one day when we arrive to that celestial home, we will come and we will know fully and we will see just how amazing his grace really is. The hymn that we sang this morning reminds us, amazing grace, oh, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And when we find ourselves wondering, wonder if we can make it, wonder if we can take another step, wondering if we're gonna give out, wondering if we're gonna cave, we realize that his grace has brought me safe thus far and his grace will lead me home. And one day, beloved, one day you will be there and we've sang for 10,000 years, brought shining as the sun. We have no less days to sing God's praises when we first begun. Oh, what amazing grace. Galatians, don't take your eyes off that grace. Prospect, don't take your eyes off that grace. Not for one moment. Because when you take your eyes off the grace of God, you put it in something else, namely your flesh, and it will only condemn you. It cannot save you. Only Christ can save you. Have you taken your eyes off of grace? Have you taken your eyes off the grace of God, off the person of Jesus Christ? And for anyone here wondering, what's the road home? The road home is still the way of the cross. It's through Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Well, as always, thank you for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Prospect Sermons podcast. If you'd like more information about Prospect Baptist Church, you can visit our website at prospectbaptistchurch.org, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Prospect Baptist Church, Fayetteville, Tennessee. If you live in the Fayetteville area, we would love for you to join us in worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. If you're not comfortable doing that at this time, we understand, but please know we are live streaming our services on Facebook Live. We do hope to see you soon and look forward to you worshiping with us. Until next time on the Prospect Sermons Podcast.